Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. In the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins. On today's show, we're joined by former Tennessee Titans and Baltimore Ravens wide receiver Derek Mason. Derek stops by the show to talk about his career in the NFL, his time at Michigan State, his thoughts on this current season of college football, and much more. But before we get started, we can't forget to... Before we hop into the show, we just want to remind you guys that we are sponsored by betonline.ag. The wait is finally over and football is back. And while you might not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. One of the best parts about the SEC being back is that we can throw a little money down on some of our favorite SEC teams, including Vanderbilt. Last week on my other podcast, Illegal Motion, which you can now check out on the Believe Podcast Network as well, I guaranteed Vanderbilt to cover that 30.5 point spread, and they did that with ease. This week's going to be a little bit tougher because LSU is going to be looking for a little bit redemption after they lost last week to Mississippi State, becoming the first defending national champion since 1998 to lose their season opener the following year. Vandy comes in as a 20-point underdog to the Bayou Bengals this week. Not quite sure how I feel about this one yet. Check out the show later this week for my final prediction on that one. So whether you're betting on Vandy or any other team in the SEC or across the country, make sure that you are checking out the game spreads, totals, team, player, and coaching props on Bet Online. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else on the web. There's always the online casino as well, which never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag to sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, well, let's hop right in with Derek Mason. So you grew up, I mean, you grew up in Detroit, right? Yes, Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, uh, Michigan. So you ended up and then ended up at, at, at Michigan State. Was that always, was your plan always to stay, um, was your plan always to stay in and around, you know, Big Ten country? Uh, not really. Um, you know, I grew up a, and this is odd, I grew up a ball fan for some reason. I, it, it was maybe maybe because of the colors. I don't know, but um, I enjoyed uh, you know Carl Pickens watching him play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just I mean there was something about Johnny Majors back then. Oh, I mean um, I, I I can definitely understand that. I mean he was uh, you know he was a special guy. Exactly. And then one of the guys that I played with in high school, Aaron Hayden, ended up signing with the University of Tennessee. So that kind of you know, sparked my interest even more. But then I ended up going to Michigan State um, after I visited um, Colorado, which was beautiful. Colorado was beautiful. Uh, visited Kansas. They lost my luggage at Kansas, so I decided not to go. <laughs> well, especially like that was the, I mean, that was coming off the Cordell Stewart years for, for Colorado too, right? Yeah, they yeah, had. Uh, for sure. Um, and they had just won that national title. It had been, you know, was it ninety one, ninety two? They had been like, you know, right up there in the rankings. Yeah, and and it was funny because Ray Carew ended up being my my host 
Uh, yes, Ronnie, he was my host there. And then we had another guy um, that was from the city, um, um, Westbrook. Um, mm -hmm. Brian he, Westbrook? Yeah, Brian Westbrook. Yeah. He was the uh, receiver. Mm -hmm. And ended up getting drafted in the first round by the Redskins. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I was, they recruited a lot uh, from the Detroit area. Meaning For sure. Well, well, speaking of Karuth and the Panthers, I mean, you played in college with Musim Muhammad, you know, another another Panther great and for, former Bear great as well. You guys had a, a, quite the receiving tandem going there for for a minute under Coach Saban. Yeah, we did. Musin, myself, um, Nigeria Carter, Gary Scott, um, Charles Rogers, uh, Plexico um, Burris. We had some really good, uh, you know, receivers come out of uh, Michigan State. They call um university of miami um you know wide receiver you but i think you might want to rethink that um, well well definitely but, definitely back in the 90s i mean it was, it was between you guys and some of those guys that came out of florida state i mean like you know for me growing up i mean like peter warwick was someone who i was just like always in awe I thought of he was the greatest, man <laughs> even as a as his peer watching him on television i thought the guy was just unbelievable at receiver Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And I mean, I you know, I, I remember one uh, for him. I I don't remember who was the title game against Virginia Tech that year. He took a punt off of about four bounces, and uh -huh. I was like, and there were like three dudes like right next. To him. I was like, no, no way he's gonna do this. And he, I I swear, like somehow he managed to like he was like a ghost. Like no one could tackle him on the punt returns. But so you played under Coach Saban, obviously, and since I mean, since Coach Saban has been at Michigan State, and moved on to LSU his legends just grown and grown and grown. And so are you still in touch with coach Saban at all these days? Uh, I get, you know, when I was doing radio, I got a chance to talk to coach Saban uh, once or twice a year. Um, and he always made it his business uh, to sit down with us when I was at the radio station to sit down with us and talk right before S well, right during SEC media days. Mm -hmm. and then he would try to come on once um, during, um, during the regular season. Um, just to chat. So um, I keep up with Coach Saban as much as possible. Um, but he's, you know, he, he's one of my favorites. Um, so what was know. it? What was it about but Coach it, Saban it, that 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 you think makes him just like you know? I mean, he's. I don't even want to say him. He's the modern day Bear Bryant because I don't even think that does enough justice to him and what and what he's accomplished in his you know thirty plus year coaching career. I think the thing with with Coach Saban is he's a, he's 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 detail oriented. There's nothing that he doesn't um, look at. There's no stone he doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't flip over. Um, he's always, it seems, you know, two or three steps ahead of just about everybody um, in the country. It sort of reminds you of Bill Belichick. Um, you know, the things that Bill Belichick does on the field are some of the same things that you see Coach Saban um, doing as well. It seems like those guys just, are two or three steps ahead of everyone else. That's because, you know, frankly, football is their life. And, um, you know, when you eat, breathe, sleep, you know, run, walk, talk, football, then you're going to end up being one of the greatest. And uh, not to say that I saw it in Coach Saban while he was there in Michigan State my years, but you, the one thing you did see was he was really detailed. Um, and he made sure that everyone else um, was detailed as well. Yeah, I, I you know I, I think one of the things, and we think about both those guys, both Coach Belichick and Coach Saban, is you know you know obviously schematic masterminds, right? But mm -hmm. I, you know you have to imagine to have that longevity, there has to be something about the relationships that they're establishing with their players as well, for you know to keep guys not just coming in but coming back. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Coach Saban has, uh, it was, there's one story about Coach Saban and that was told to me. Uh, when he uh, took the job at, I believe, LSU uh, after he left Michigan State, I think it was LSU or uh, uh, the Dolphins, one of yeah, the yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Um, he came in and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm taking a job. Who wants to go? You know, and he's loyal when it comes to people that, that have worked for him. He's loyal. Um, you know, guys that have played for him. I know guys that have played for him, friends of mine that have, you know, been, you know, coaches on his staff or he's helped them out in, in, in some type of way um, after, you know, after they played for him. So. Coach Saban is a guy that, that that really prides himself, I believe, on relationships that he built, not just with other coaches, but with the players as well. I mean, I, I haven't seen a player that has played for Coach Saban um, two, four years or whatever that has said anything bad about Coach Saban. Yeah, you're rarely, rarely going to find this. Well, I mean, you know, let's talk about your post-collegiate years because, I mean, your, your first year in the league – the, you know, the Titans, well, the now Titans were then the Oilers, right? Yeah. I mean, they they were, they, it was their first year. Was it their first year in Nashville? Um, yes, it was the first year in Nashville. So, I mean, that's got to be really interesting, not just coming in as a rookie because you're coming in as a rookie, but also coming into like a rookie franchise in a lot of ways, right? I mean, we get you got the new stadium. Um, you know, they had some established guys, um, obviously, on that team. I mean, you had what, Eddie George had been in the league for a year or two by that uh -huh. time. You know, uh, you guys had uh, Steve McNair. Was Steve McNair on the squad when you when you, when you got yeah, there as well? Yeah, his third year, I believe. Okay, I okay. So you had some of these younger established guys. So what was what was that transition like for you? Because obviously like they didn't have actually like the physical infrastructure you would have had in place, even if you had gone to Houston. Right. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, it was almost a step down coming from Michigan state and, and coming to the, um, you know, Houston Oilers, then Tennessee Oilers and ultimately Tennessee Titans, not because that's the way they ran their organization. It was because they were in the, in the middle of a transition. Um, you know, I spent many camp in Houston and then the, um, you know, regular camp, training camp, we came back, we were at TSU. And even that whole year, we spent, you know, in Bellevue, and we didn't have really a home stadium because we played our home games in Memphis. So we were on a plane every week. We practiced in back of a, um, a doctor's office, a very small doctor's office. We met and ate out of trailers, you know, the, the showers that and, and the locker rooms were, you know, we were a team of 54, 53 guys. Tell you the truth, that locker room probably only held maybe 40 something. So guys were two to a locker, three to a locker. Um, so it was sort of a, you know, it was sort of a step down, but you know, the one thing that, that, you know, really made it special is coach, coach, coach Fisher because he kind of held it all together in the midst of, you know, transitioning for two years, but he held it all together. And, you know, we all, I, I tell everybody, you know, essentially we all grew up together. You know, you had some veteran guys on the staff, I mean, on, on the team like Bruce Matthews, uh, Brad Hopkins, some of those guys playing Bishop, but essentially we all grew up together here in Nashville. And I think that's why a lot of those bonds um, and those friendships still last to this day. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you were on the other end of my least favorite play of all time. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. 
And uh, the Music City Miracle is, you know, I mean, well, I, you know, I got, I was used to having my heart broken. I mean, we lost force. My first, my, my literally my first memory is Scott Norwood wide, right? So, um, you know, and since then, you had a lot of heartbreaks, then that's the case. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have, you know, I'm born in 85. So, you know, that, that Super Bowl in 91, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm six years old. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just, oh, that, that, that was brutal. So, I, you know, we don't even know what it's like to have like that really kind of success. But, you know, that whole postseason run that y'all had that year was was really special. Y'all end up, you know, with Kevin Dyson coming up one yard short. That had to obviously the hurt. But I want to talk about the Music City Miracle because that is, you know, one of the great, great moments in, uh-huh. you know, in, in, in the history of the, the Titans franchise and really football in Middle Tennessee here. Right. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's the thing that people can always go back to. So what, what are your your memories of you know that whole game that wild card game and then uh you know that play in particular well i mean it was a tough game because i think what you gotta understand is that that whole let's just go to the play first and then we'll kind of go backwards yeah that whole play uh usually it was you know myself um, Isaac Bird, uh, Anthony Dorsett, Frankie, and and, and and Neil was always the blocker. Neil, I mean, yeah, um, Neil was always the blocker for Lorenzo. Neil was always the blocker for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lorenzo Neil had always had this saying, "Get on my hip and don't dip." And we had a lot of great returns uh, because of guys like him. But that play was designed for me to be as the returner as I was um, that whole season. Um, but just so happened, I think in the second quarter, somewhere around there, catching the punt, I ended up getting a concussion. Um, and I ended up having to stay out uh, for the remainder of the game. And then right before all of that, my replacement is Anthony Dorsett. Well, Anthony Dorsett gets hurt as well. So in come Kevin Dyson, who's never ran it. Now he was third in line, but he has never ran that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Kevin's a professional. It's not about it's it's about um, being ready, not getting ready. Mm-hmm. And Kevin was our first round pick two years prior. Um, so you know, the ball kicked off, and you know, Lorenzo gets it, hands it to Frankie. Frankie throws it back to um, Kevin. And the thing about it, that Frankie, I mean, Lorenzo wasn't supposed to get it either. <laughs> yes, Frankie was supposed to get the ball and then throw it back to me. And I wasn't in the game. So Neil gets it, gives it to Frankie. Frankie throws it back to Kevin and sets up the wall on our sideline. And the rest is history. But that was a hard-fought game. I mean, Buffalo came in, I believe, as the number one defense uh, mm-hmm. in, yeah. in, in the football league. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, w- w- Wade Phillips, the head coach at that point. I mean, like, we- we've seen he's he's been a defensive mastermind forever. Exactly. And, you know, I, I you know, I, there's still a lot of Buffalo fans that give him a lot of flack for it. I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's wasteful. I think Wade actually had some really good teams there. My biggest beef was that they were starting Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie. And, you know, as, as yeah, a fan, that was a surprise to us because Doug Flutie had been doing so well. And he was sort of like the spark plug for the offense. Um, oh, for sure. They had, um, they had Eric Moulds on the team, Pillars Pluck, Pillars Price. Um, I forget who the running back was, but they had a really good offense at the time. Um, and, 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 you know, Flutie was sort of the, the, the spark that made it go. And for them not to start Flutie and to start um, um, Johnson was a surprise to everybody. 
Yeah, it was it, it was a surprise to both you know to fans as well, especially at that point. Because I mean, like you know, at that point, I was I was I was living in Rochester, New York at that yeah. point. So my hometown, my hometown at that point, Pittsburgh, is where they have summer camp every year, St. John Fisher College, and, and you know, and so that that was you know ten minutes from our house, and so you know everyone in, in that neighborhood just like lives and breathes Buffalo football, and you know, Flutie was more than just a. Flutie was more than just like a quarterback. You know, he was sort of like a deity in a lot of ways from his time at Boston. You know, everyone remembers his time at Boston College and, you know, um, and, and the Hail Mary to beat Miami and things like that when he won the Heisman. But, you know, he had he was just like a galvanizing, a galvanizing force. And everyone to this day still says that, you know, if Flutie had started the game, we wouldn't have had to worry about the miracle. So, um, so that was the thing. But, you know, you obviously you played here in Middle Tennessee for a long time. And so you've seen sort of the growth and expansion of of the city of Nashville. And with that has come a lot of, you know, a lot of great football players have been coming out of middle Tennessee for a long time. So I just wanted you to sort of talk about, you think, you know, what you've seen as, you know, just a sport, the importance of the sport of football here in middle Tennessee. Honestly, I think uh, because the Tennessee Titans chose to come here, well, the Houston Oilers chose to come here and they become the Tennessee Titans. I think it opened up a lot of doors uh, for the city of Nashville. Uh, I don't think people truly understand how much a sports franchise um, helps a city um, from a revenue standpoint uh, and bringing in other businesses, hotels. I couldn't imagine um, the city of Nashville without the Tennessee Titans. Um, I don't think the city would have grown as fast as it has. Uh, I don't think many people would have moved here um, had they not had a sports franchise and then lo and behold, they bring in the Nashville Predators and the Predators are doing extremely well. So now on not only do you have the Tennessee Titans who went to a Super Bowl, but now you have the Nashville Predators who went to a Stanley Cup. So when, when you infuse a sports franchise franchise into a city, I think it does a lot for that particular city. And I think uh, when we first got here, well, I know when we first got here downtown, I mean, I'm. I can, I can count on one hand how many times I went downtown um, or anywhere near downtown. But once the stadium was built um, and, and, and we started playing uh, right off the river and then the Nashville Predators started play, uh, playing, I think more people start to migrate downtown, not just going downtown and enjoying themselves, but actually, you know, moving in that area. Um, and, and you look at it now, I mean, there are high rises everywhere. Uh, downtown people are trying to get closer and closer uh, you know downtown as possible so uh, for me I've seen it grown and you know I left in 04 and 04 was just starting to you know things was just starting to tick up um, and then when I come back in 2010 it just looked like a different place um, a lot better a lot bigger uh, more people I don't know if that's good or bad some people say it's good some people say it's bad but this city because of uh, the sports franchises here, the uh, pro sports franchises here, I think has allowed this city uh, to grow a lot faster than it would have had they, you know, had the, the Houston Oilers not come here or the Nashville Predators not come here um, to the city. 
Yeah, especially, you know, you think about that lower Broadway area, right? I mean, be, you know, between the fact that when they have, I mean, uh, you know, when they build the the Titan Stadium right across the river and build the pedestrian bridge, right? And then they have, mm -hmm. and then they build Bridgestone right there in lower Broadway. I mean, you know, we always had tourists coming to go to the honky tonks, but that is a much smaller subset of people who are here for the country music than will co come into town for a Titans game, come in for a Predators game. And now the crazy thing, the crazy thing is, especially for Predators games, man, when they were playing, uh, when, when they were playing the Penguins in the finals, it was cheaper to get a flight to Pittsburgh and buy a ticket to that game than it was to get the, than it was to get a ticket here in Nashville. Uh -huh. It was, it's absolutely crazy, you know, and I, you know, I, I go whenever the bills are in town, I'm going, I'm going to the bills game. I went to the bills game last year and you just see, you've got, you know, tens of thousands of fans who now are going to come into town because you have, you know, obviously the football game, but sort of, it's sort of like the synergy of having the football game plus already having that, those tourist attractions downtown. It's just, you know, obviously it makes it just explode in terms of profit and revenue and, you know, just you know, traction to get people to come to the city and then people come, Oh, like, I, I kind of like it here. You know, maybe I'll move down here. You, after you retired, you know, uh, you know, you, you spent your last year with the jets and the Texans. Right. And oh, so I really don't count the jets and the Texans. <laughs> so after you finish up with the Raiders, after you finish up with the Raiders, exactly. you decide to move back, you decide to move back here. You decide to, you decide to come back to middle Tennessee. Why? Yeah. It was because you had already established the roots and sort of just decided, you know, this is where you want to be. What made you want to stay in and around middle Tennessee? Because, you know, our our thought was when we moved here to Nashville, uh, you know, the first couple of years were really tough. It, they really were. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about a city, a city boy coming down south um, to a place that doesn't look anything like where he came from. Um, and you're just trying to adjust. My family, we were trying to adjust. I was just newly married. Um, so we were just trying to adjust to everything. So any chance we had to go back up north, we went back up north. Um, but after a while, uh, we started planting roots here and we found us a church home and, and, and some friends. And, and we decided that, you know, Nashville would be the place unless we had to for work. Nashville would be the place that we would, uh, you know, raise our children and just live. Um, because it was it was central to everywhere we needed to go. If we wanted to hop on a flight and go to back to Detroit, it was an hour and five minutes. If we wanted to drive, it was eight hours. If we wanted to go just about anywhere um, in the U.S., you know, the, the, the Nashville airport was perfect because you can get in and out very quickly and flights were coming in and out. Um, so when we, you know, when we left, well, when we were forced to leave, when they chose to uh, release me, I still think that's the greatest mistake they ever made, but that's just me. Uh, when they chose to release me- uh, There's a lot we of Titans fans who agree with you on that one, that's for sure. <laughs> we went to Baltimore and we enjoyed Baltimore, but we always thought and we always knew that we would come back here um, to Nashville um, to, to, to live, to raise our children. It was just a, it was a good place to, to have a family. Um, you know, the cost of living at that time was was a lot better than maybe, you know, up north back in Detroit or, or outside outside Detroit. It was a lot better. So we figured we stay, you know, here. The weather, you get all four seasons. Typically, it's not as cold in the wintertime. I mean, uh, so it, 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 maybe Michigan winters ain't, ain't ain't pretty. Yeah, Michigan winters, you know, if, you, if you're not used to them, you don't want to get used to them. Let's just say that. Uh, so we just felt that. You know, being in Nashville would be a, a wonderful place to to just live. 
And, uh, you know, when, when, when I left Baltimore and, you know, I should have retired after that year. Uh, but I, I felt I just needed one more year to kind of get it all out of my system. Cause I didn't want to be that guy that, you know, retired a year too early and say, you know what, I think I could still play. Um, I wanted to get it all out of my system and, you know, my year, my half a year in, 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 in New York and then the other half in, in Houston, um, it got to a point where, you know, I was done with football. Football wasn't fun to me anymore. It became a job to me. And I always said that if this game, which I've been playing, you know, with my brothers in, in the backyard or in front of the house, it becomes a business, it becomes a job, then I don't need to do it anymore. And that last year, um, became a job. I think a lot of it had to do too was that my family was here in Nashville while I was off work, and so that was kind of tough as well. Yeah, that's it. That, that's how they got to be tough, you know. And, and for a lot of guys, I mean, for most guys, the game tells them when they're when, you know when, when it's time to go. You, there's not a lot of guys who you know you know like yourself. You at least got the choice. You weren't forced to retire for injury, which, which yeah. is you know you know which is very fortunate, obviously. Um, but one of the things that obviously you know I I wanted to talk to you about. I actually want to uh, talk about Coach Fisher a little bit more because uh-huh. Zach Stacy, who's you know been my co-host for a long time, he's had to take a little bit of time off. He'll be back soon, but he played for Coach Stacy in St. Louis. Or sorry, he played for Coach it's Fisher. Five o'clock. He, uh, he, 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 uh, he played for uh, Coach Fisher in in St. Louis. Uh-huh. And everyone I've talked to who's played for Coach Fisher has talked about how he is the ultimate players coach and just their relationships with Coach Fisher, Coach Fisher are so meaningful. So what, what what was your experience like with with Coach Fisher? And, you know, especially obviously, you know, he was here in, in Little Tennessee for a long time. So, you know, just just talk about how, you know, you he helped you grow as a player. Well, I mean, coming in as a rookie, um, you look at the the head coach a lot different than you look at your position coach, uh, who at the time was Alan Lowry. Um, And then Alan ended up being my special teams coach. Um, And, um, you know, then they brought in another receiver coach. Um, So when you when you come in as a as a rookie, um, your thing is just make the team just not have the head coach yelling and screaming at you or the offensive coordinator, Les Steckle, yelling and screaming at you. That's one thing you don't want. So you just keep your head down, keep your head, you know, keep your, keep your head in the playbook and, you know, do all the things that are necessary of you and asked of you um, to go out there and perform at a high level. Um, so that, that first year was tough. Um, you didn't see Coach Bridger as a player's coach. Um, you know, you, you just saw him as a head coach and, and he was demanding, uh, he was a young head coach and he was trying to make a team that had previously, you know, before moving to Nashville had previously had a losing season. And he was trying to get this, this, this organization to be a winning organization once again. So, you know, he had to be stern and he had to do some things that, you know, young, you know, first or second year head coaches do. Uh, they're not trying to be your friend. They're trying to be your coach and they're trying to win football games. Uh, and it wasn't until year three or four that I think that whole dynamic started to change. I think, you know, in 99, uh, once we got into our, um, our um, new practice facility over at Metro Center, um, and then once we get at, you know, our new stadium, it was called Adelphia back then, I think things started to change. I think you started to see the group become more of a family um, unit. 
and that's including the coaches as well. And Fisher, you know, he became not just the coach, but he became a part of us. Um, because again, I, I say we all grew up in this thing together. Um, and, you know, we didn't see him um, as just the head coach. We saw him as just, you know, one of us. And, you know, he, he was one of those guys that, that played the game, that understood, that won a Super Bowl, I believe, with Chicago Bears that year he was with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he knew safety, and understood. I think, right? Yeah. That he knew and understood what winning football looked like. Um, so it became more so not just the head coach, but a sort of a, you know, as they would say, players coach. He knew exactly when to push and he knew exactly when to pull back. And um, I think it was just, I think it all, it all played out on the field. I think guys trusted one another. Uh, we trusted, you know, Coach uh, Coach uh, Fisher, um, and and he, and he trusted us as players. So um, as as my years start to grow here in Nashville with the team, um, I think Fisher's and my relationship started to grow as well. Awesome, awesome, yeah. And so um, obviously, you know, uh, your your alma mater, uh, uh, the Michigan State Spartans, they've got a new coach this season. They got they got yeah. Mel Tucker in there now. Um, and what has been your you know your relationship with your alma mater since you you know since you graduated? Have you spent a lot of time back in East Lansing at all? Um, have you been back for a lot of games? Uh, you know, especially obviously while you're playing, it's a lot tougher. But uh, s- since you retired, have you been back for a lot of games? And then especially for this season, you know, not only do they have a new head coach, but like, you know, it, this is the craziest college football season in memory, right? <laughs> this is the most ridiculous college football season in memory. Big Ten's coming back in like three and a half weeks. The SEC just came back. ACC's still been going for a month. Like everything is going on and crazy. But um, so what is your relationship like with your alma mater these days? And, you know, can you, what would, you know, what is your just like assessment of the situation of what's going on right now? Uh, I, I think my my relationship, I I've been back, you know, two or three times since I left um, in 97. Uh, it's tough going back uh, when you're playing. And then you couple that with having a family. So any, you know, bye week or off day you have, you're not trying to run up to your alma mater. <laughs> you know, you got to be here and you got to be with your family. And, and, and whether it be travel or whatnot, you're trying to spend as much time um, with your family as possible. You're not trying to you know, run back to your, your hometown or, or, or your alma mater to, to, you know, watch a game or, or to be a part of whatever festivities they have going on. But, you know, I'm always, you know, invited back, uh, whether it be the games or whatever functions they have. Um, I keep up with the team every week. I'm watching them play. Uh, I'm cheering them on. Uh, I'm hoping they win, especially when we play Michigan. Um, so, I, but I, I think this year is going to be just challenging for everybody, uh, especially for the Big Ten and Pac-12, because they canceled their season. They didn't wait around. They canceled their season. So all of these players were sort of in limbo. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a memo, memo, we're playing again. So now you got to ramp it back up. So I know it's going to be just it's going to be really tough for those guys to kind of get things going again. Um, but I'm sure coach had those guys going. Um, you know, I, we, we've had a conference call um, with him um, as alums and we, we've heard the vision and everything else. So um, I think things are, are, are looking up. We had some great years with coach D 
Um, he was there my last two years at Michigan State. He was on the coaching staff with um with Coach Saban. Um, so everyone loved Coach D, and he did a remarkable job at that front with with that uh, program. And uh, we're just looking for that to continue and even more. What was your favorite Big Ten stadium to play in? Obviously, outside of your home stadium, uh, Penn State. Penn really? State, okay. Yes, I Penn State in Iowa. Uh, Iowa for different reasons. It just you know Iowa was, it, just, was, was it the pink locker room. It was the pink locker room, but Iowa was just it just seemed like a football venue. It seemed like you know they built it specifically and only to play football. That was it, nothing else. Yeah, Kinnick uh, is an amazing stadium yeah, for those of you who have not been to it. I've been to- I've been to half a dozen games there, and uh, it's as I a fan, it's one of my favorite places to go. Uh-huh. And then Penn State, uh, you know, that was other than Michigan. I think that was the biggest state. I think that might have been the biggest stadium at the time in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State was. Um, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It was either Penn State or Michigan. Yeah, they they, they go back and forth every year. Like they're always yeah. doing additions, like trying to trying to one up each other. Absolutely, but Penn State was so loud, and then they had that epic team. Um, you know, and I think it was 96 with, you know, led by Kajana Carter, those guys, I mean, they were putting up 60 points a game and you know, I played there and I think they scored, you know, 45, 50 points against us. Uh, we ended up scoring somewhere in the ballpark of 30, but it wasn't even close. Uh, you know, you heard that, that, um, that, that lion going off, it seems like every five minutes, uh, but it was just a wonderful place to play. Um, it was late November. It was cold. Uh, it was just, it was epic football there at, um, at, uh, in Penn State. That's, yeah, th- that's great. Yeah, that team with Kajana Carter, Kerry Collins, right? Uh-huh. Um, did you and Kerry overlap at all in, in, in Tennessee? Uh, no, we didn't. Oh, Kerry, okay. um, I left, um, and then Kerry came in, I think, a year or two after I left. Okay, I, couldn't remember, I couldn't remember if y'all did or not. Yeah, yeah so... Um, <sighs> That that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I'll get out of uh, I'll, I'll get I'll get you out of here on this. So for the college football season this year, who do you think are going to end up being the final four teams now that we have all the major conferences back in the mix? Oh wow! Well, I hope it's Michigan State. So <laughs> I'm gonna be a homer and I'm gonna say Michigan State. Um, I think Alabama, uh, Clemson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know. I, I thought LSU, I think LSU, they're still trying to figure some things out. I saw them play last week. Um, their defense is not as good as it was last year. Um, their offense struggled to put up points, even though they did uh, manage to um, score a lot of points last week against Texas Tech. Um, but I think their defense um, is going to struggle um, this year. Um, so I don't, you know what? I don't know who that fourth team is going to be. Well, especially with Oklahoma losing to Kansas exactly. State. Exactly, Oklahoma lost this, uh, this past weekend. So you look at the teams, um, Miami's damn good. Um, I saw Miami play this weekend, and I saw my boy Air Reed on the sidelines. So, <laughs> um, but I saw Miami play this weekend as well, and Miami looks really, really good. Um, so, you know, it's it's – you don't want to say who are the – you really don't want to say who are the four teams what, – what are the four teams going to be or who they're going to be because even though I say Michigan State, Big Ten hadn't played yet. Yeah, we, like, we, we don't know anything about the Big Ten. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you can have somebody that's surprised and come out of the Big Ten. You can have somebody that surprises and come out of the Pac-12. 
You know, Ohio State's always going to be good. Michigan is going to be good this year. I think Michigan State's going to be good. Wisconsin. Um, so you have a bunch of teams that just hadn't played yet. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, Derek, thank you so much for spending a little time with us here today. We really appreciate it, uh, especially your insights here on, you know, football in Middle Tennessee, because, you know, pretty much, you know, all, all these Vandy fans, a lot of us Vandy fans are also going to be uh, uh, also going to be Titans fans. So it's, it's always well, great to I, have. You know what? The Vandy sort of like my adopted team um, because I got to know Coach Mason. Uh, I mean, the two de- you, we, we have, you know, the two most famous Derek Masons are in, exactly. in the same city. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Well, I've gotten to know him and he's a really good guy. And, mm-hmm. and, and that program has suffered a lot. And you just want to see that program sort of get over the hill because they're behind the eight ball um, in, in regards to, you know. Well, it's tough it's to recruit, sport. right? I mean, when you they're have the academic standards, it's – it's so hard, especially on the line. Like, you know, you, you see it on the offensive and defensive lines, man. Like, it, it's so hard to get those big athletic bodies that they get at Alabama, Georgia, Florida, whatever. Yeah, they just can't, you know, it, it, you, see the, you see the difference in recruiting when you see Vandy go, go against Georgia or Alabama or Auburn or, or, you know, one of these LSU. You see the difference in recruiting um, because, you know, those teams are later with four and five stars. And then you have Vandy that might have one or two four stars, four star guys. Not to say that the other guys are not good, but you know, you're already at a disadvantage. But but what I do like about Coach Mason is that, you know, he's not gonna quit. He's gonna continue to coach and coach hard and hopefully he can uh, put together a team this year. Um, they can win more than six games. Listen, I mean they they came out did you catch any of the Vandy Texas AM game from this past weekend. Um, no, I didn't get a chance to okay. see that one. So, I mean, they acquitted themselves quite well. I was extraordinarily impressed. Speaking of lines, though, usually Vanderbilt's, you know, offensive defensive line, usually not the strong suit of the team, man. That defensive line was phenomenal. Pro Football okay. Focus rated them the number one defensive line from the past weekend in all of college football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thoroughly impressed with the two new coordinators they've got between Ted Roof and, um, and, and Todd Fitch. And it was, it, it, you know, it was really great to think. I think there was a lot of really great takeaways from that. They started a true freshman quarterback. You know, uh, that's always, that's going to be um, an Achilles heel for you at least. Yeah, you know, but, you know, starting a true freshman quarterback, he was, you know, uh, Ken, Kenny Seals was poor. I mean, he looked like a, like a third-year starter out there, you know. And one of the things, I don't know how you would feel about this as a wide receiver, but, you know, Cam Johnson, the star receiver for Vanderbilt, runs the wrong route on uh on a play to lead to the first interception of the game and ken seals true freshman quarterback has no problem going up to him on the sideline and chewing him out and so i don't know how you would react to that you know if because you know cam johnson upperclassman you know leading receiver coming back to the team and you know and, and you got this young pup coming up and telling you you know, you know, you ain't doing the right thing. That's your fault. I don't know how you would feel about that in the situation. Well, I mean, it's about accountability um, and it's about the quarterback's leadership. And that's what you want to see from a young quarterback. Um, and the veteran guy should understand, hey, I made the mistake. And if the young quarterback wants to come up to me and say something, then you take it as constructive criticism and then you move on. You try not to do it again. But that's the one thing as a veteran guy. You can't be the one that's making mistakes when you have a younger guy at quarterback. That can never be the case. You have to be the guy that that young quarterback lean on each and every time. And, you know, I've been that way for for multiple quarterbacks, whether it's Joe Flacco, um, Troy Smith, 
uh, even a young Steve McNair, um, just being a guy that, hey, I know I can count on this guy right here. you got to have that as a young quarterback. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you wish, you know, uh, obviously Vanderbilt is a new coordinator in Todd Fitch this year who's bringing in like a much more of like an air raid scheme. Do you mm -hmm. wish you could have gotten to play in, in one of those teams that was, you know, throwing the ball around, you know, like a Mike Leach, like 55, 60 times a game? Oh, man, if, they, if, if I was on a team that threw the ball 30 times a game, uh, you know, my numbers would be a lot better. But, you know, I played here and we were a run-based team. And, and for obvious reasons, we had Eddie George. Um, and we had a wonderful offensive line. I mean, Bruce, Bruce Matthews is, you know, yeah, maybe yeah, the greatest Brad interior Hopkins. offensive lineman ever. I mean, exactly. he's... And, and, and Brad got overlooked a lot. Brad Hopkins left tackle. He got overlooked a lot because there were a lot of fantastic left tackles in the league at that at that particular time. Um, so we were a true run based team. I mean, when I say run based, we were like seventy percent run and thirty percent pass. And then I go to Baltimore. And it was the same thing. Um, Jamal Lewis, know, right? At Jamal Lewis, they had Willis McGay. Uh, then they brought in Ray Rice. So that was a run-based team as well. Um, and we threw the ball. And then we had a young Joe Flacco, too. So we threw the ball maybe 25 times a game, if that. So had I played in a system where we threw the ball 30, 35, 40 times, then <laughs> my numbers would be a lot better. Um, so, but you know, I'm thankful for the teams that I played for and, and, and the quarterbacks that I played with because I I'm consider sure. quarterbacks uh, some really good guys. That's great. That's great. Well, listen, thank you so much for uh, for spending a little time today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Um, you know, just getting your insights and you know he hearing more about it. So, um, you know, uh, until next time, uh, you know, we're gonna leave you guys out there with an anchor down. <laughs> all right have a good one man thank you derek thank you derek. i gotta tell you real quick um mm -hmm. i actually went to the university of wisconsin um uh -huh. uh, as an undergrad did you play did you play uh over in madison at all did you have any games over yeah. in madison we had a um a, a quick <laughs> madison is not a good place to play in i'm gonna tell you that it's not a great place to be a fan it's a great place to be a fan the fans are just brutal one they're right on top of you that's one Section and O, the, baby. Section O. We, it's, you are right those there. Fans are, they were throwing snowballs and everything else. It was just a disaster. It was like, seriously? Um, but no, that was, a, I mean, from a play standpoint, you know, playing against the Badgers and because we played against them. My, my freshman year, we went over to Japan. Was it Japan? Tokyo? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember that game. When they had Rod Dane, and they beat us to death that game. Um, and then, you know, playing them here, whether it be in East Lansing or, or, or Wisconsin, um, you know, they've always had really good teams. Uh, well, but, uh, oh, well oh, since 19, since Barry Alvarez got there in 1990. Yeah, Barry had that team really going. And he always had him a really good offensive line and a really good court, uh, running back. Um, so, but it was good to play there, but fans, I guess that's how they're supposed to be. Yeah. Fans are supposed to be ruthless, okay? <laughs> they are. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it's a job. You know, I, you know, e even as a, you know, a, a, as a Badger student there, I, the one thing I didn't appreciate, there are a lot of, Th th there's just a little too much cussing going on in, in, in the in the student section, a little bit too much, and that's why for a long time ESPN would not have Badger games because the student uh -huh. section, like every other every chant, has like thirty words you cannot say on TV. Uh -huh. <laughs> so they wouldn't, you know, they would never be, you know, the, the like the showcase ABC game. They put us at you know the ugh, eleven a.m. kick every 
single week. Yeah. What so, do you expect from college students that probably had a little bit too much to drink and then they're going to a football game? Well, and it's it's the state of Wisconsin, man. I mean, like there ain't a whole lot else to do besides drink beer and watch football. Like, let's face it. You know, I mean, I loved it. It was a great experience for me, man. It just, it made my, my love of the game explode. I mean, I grew up playing football, obviously, you know, but I was an offensive lineman growing up. I'm a big dude. You probably can't tell I'm six, three. I used to be about 285, 290. Um, and like, I, so like just going as a fan to offensive line Mecca in, in Madison, Wisconsin was, was just so much fun to get to see those guys play, man. Like I just, I still just, when, when I watch games, all I do is watch the offensive line. That's no. all I'm watching every single time. Hey, those guys, they 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 need to offensive linemen, I say they set the tone in the locker room because mm -hmm. you know they determine what really goes on, you know, in a locker, at least in the locker rooms I've been in. Uh, mm -hmm. They got some really good dudes, but man oh man, uh, you don't want to you don't want to get those big fellas mad, I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, because it's it's always the D linemen who are like the big loudmouths of the big guys, uh -huh. but it, it's the quiet guys you really got to worry about. It's those big, you know, you know, Orlando Pace, Jonathan Ogden, dudes like that. Like you know, those are the guys you really they, don't want to piss off. They always carrying books. Y'all read a lot. I tell you that offensive linemen do read a lot. <laughs> Smartest guys on the team. I, exactly. I, I, I was I was a center. I prided myself on being a knowing what every single player on the team was going to do oh, for absolutely. every single play. You had to, as a, as a center, as a center, you had to know what was going on with all the rest of the offensive line because you had to call out the protections and everything else. Um, so you couldn't be a guy on the offensive line, especially playing the center position. And and if you couldn't, you know, um, read and react very quickly, or you know, take all of what you've learned and 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 and, and let it go on the field, then. I mean, you weren't gonna play that position for a long time. No, and because you got to be able to diagnose pre-snap, like and, and and adjust, and you know, I mean, and especially you know, I, I, you know, as a center, I hated it when 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 they would line up, when when they would when they would line up a nose and just shade it just to left or right, just made my life a living hell every single play. <laughs> like I just, ugh, I, I I was lucky I had a couple of good guards that I played with, but man, uh -huh. like they like they, they I, I felt like there were coaches out there just doing it to annoy me. Like I, I just, you know, just in every single place shooting gaps, I, I, you off. Just, just angered me, man. So, well, listen, thank you so much. I I really appreciate Brittany setting this up uh, with, with us. She's wonderful. How do you know her anyway? Uh, we've been friends for wow, a good while now. Um, so I met her through mutual friends. So yeah, yeah I met her, I met her through Zach. So like, she's a great, she's a great girl. So. She, she tried, and, you know, the good part about her is she has a big heart. Oh yeah, and, and you know she 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 loves and enjoys helping you know helping people. So yeah, for sure. She's like, Derek, can you do this for me?" I was like, "Yeah, no problem." Yeah, I really appreciate it. this. is This is fantastic. So obviously, you're welcome back anytime. Um, and uh, have a great rest of the day, man. All right. Great rest of the week, and uh, you know, as hard as it for me to say this, go Spartans. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.